Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. In reference to the title of our last podcast, Hope doesn't spring eternal because Jeffrey Springs needs Tommy John surgery and is out for the year, but... Let's stay positive because when one door closes, another one opens, and Taj Bradley is staying in the rotation and looks good. Also, it's Fernando Tatis Jr. weekend. He returned to the Padres on Thursday, and I'm sure fantasy managers are excited about that. So on a positive note, John, how is your week going? Well, it's about to get nuts because uh, I'm going to try to go to a Twins game and then try to go to a Wolves game after recording this podcast. So. It's a busy Friday for me, but uh, <laughs> at the same time, I'm also kind of sad because I missed out on Todd Bradley everywhere. Oh, um, I uh, I did manage to pick up Mason Miller on a couple teams. Exciting, but I was I was hoping for like kind of one more day for Todd Bradley because uh, in my home league he was still available. I was like, oh, you know, maybe maybe he's worth a shot. And then and then uh, some guy picked him up the day before I was going to pick him up, and obviously he shoved uh, in his uh, start this week. Yeah, anywhere that I had Jeffrey Springs, I was fortunate to be able to get Taj Bradley. So as much as it stinks to lose out on Jeffrey Springs, especially with how dominant he looked and like the true breakout ace for the season, I'm kind of happy to have Taj Bradley at least as a consolation prize, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not a bad consolation prize either. No, he looks really, really good. I'm excited for him. Hopefully he can keep it going. I know he's got a tough matchup coming up, but... Really looking forward Actually, to Todd Bradley. He's got a series of tough matchups coming up, I think. He's got three straight tough matchups. Yeah, yeah, and I truly do trust him. I mean, a lot of people were looking at his strikeout numbers in the minors and mm -hmm. saying that it was never anything special, but they're up in the majors right now, and I really think it's due to his stuff just being better than what people thought. Like, those secondaries look so much better than what he showed in the minors. Yeah, I and the but the main thing, though, is that the fastball is still the same, and that that's what his elite pitch was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's the key to his success right there. But everything looks really good with Taj Bradley, and the Rays just find a way to do it. It's pretty remarkable. I, I don't understand. <laughs> it's like, it's like oh, oh, we've got Shane McClanahan. Oh, oh, we've got Drew Rasmussen. Oh, we got Jeffrey Springs. Oh, Jeffrey Springs is down. Oh, we got Taj Bradley. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Don't worry. We have an endless supply of studs. It doesn't matter. Right. It's wild. Unlike the Marlins, they're actually winning games too. So Yeah, exa exactly. <laughs> Especially because the Marlins staff is remarkable as well. So it is nice yeah. to see that the Rays are dominating, even with a very low budget. So big shout out to the Rays. But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, 
We're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. If you enjoy listening to us, we greatly appreciate it. But let's move into the MLB news since the last podcast. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Jeffrey Springs of the Rays will officially undergo Tommy John surgery and miss the remainder of the season. Absolute bummer for people like me who were super high on him. However, as a result, Rays prospect Taj Bradley will take his spot in the rotation. And I highly encourage you to pick him up if he's still out there. Don't miss out like John did and regret it. So go and grab him if he's out there on your wire. Max Scherzer of the Mets was ejected from his start on Wednesday, April 19th after a sticky substance check. He was checked in the second inning and apparently had sticky stuff on his glove, so they made him change gloves, which he did. Then he had another check in the fourth and was ejected. So I was watching this game, obviously. I watch every Mets game. And this was just so weird, John. Like, I can't describe how weird this was it looked like a personal vendetta remember when Bumgarner was being rubbed by the umpire and he was just staring him down and wanted to eject him Mm -hmm. I think because Max Scherzer has been so vocal against sticky substance stuff and everything like that I don't know maybe he had some personal beef with the home plate umpire Phil Cuzzy I'm not sure what it was but Max Scherzer literally followed the rules to a T on this one. They said, Uh hey, change your glove. He did. They said, hey, wash your hands. He did. They had an MLB official watch him wash his hands with alcohol. And Mm -hmm. he did that, then reapplied his rosin and used sweat and went out there and then got ejected in the fourth. And he was swearing on his kid's life and on him that it's just sweat and rosin. It's just sweat and rosin. There is no need for Max Scherzer to be cheating, especially at this point in his career. He's a Cy Young Hall of Fame caliber pitcher that doesn't need to cheat. And I was perplexed because they were showing that he was putting tape on his left hand for his pitch comm on his glove. So that's probably Mm -hmm. the sticky substance thing that was on his glove. And then on the right hand, he's using sweat and rosin. But when you wash your hands with the alcohol and then reapply rosin, it gets stickier. And Jerry Blevins was talking about it on the postgame show where he was really adamant about it, saying, like, this is a problem with the baseball, and Scherzer's not doing anything wrong. It's because you made him wash his hands with the alcohol and then reapply the rosin. It made it even stickier than before. It's their issue. So I think this was wild. He did end up getting a 10-game suspension because of this, because that's the rules. If you do get ejected due to a sticky substance check, it's an automatic 10-game suspension. So he'll Mm -hmm. miss two starts, most likely. But... This is just ridiculous. He didn't appeal it, by the way, because he felt like he wouldn't win just due to the whole process. And he just thought it was the best choice for the Mets to get this out of the way and then get back on the mound. So very weird scenario. John, any comments on this? Because it was strange. Yeah, I mean, Phil. so Phil Cuzzy, there was kind of an interesting sort of note here, which is that he's also thrown out two other pitchers. Yeah, he's the only umpire in the Mm -hmm. big leagues to throw someone out for sticky substance check. And he's done it three times now. Right. And the weird thing here, too, is because Domingo Herman had basically the same exact uh, interaction with yep. an umpire against the Twins in his start. Yep. And the umps told him, hey, go wash it off. I think he did. Yep, he did. Um, and then they and said he didn't he do can't... it enough and to do it again. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, he's, and then, But he didn't get thrown out of the game, right? No. And then Scherzer basically follows what the umps say, and he applies it. It basically, if you know, he's doing it in front of them, like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And they still throw him out. And so I, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, if we want to get rid of sticky stuff, like, let's get rid of sticky stuff. I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, there's an aspect of like applying rosin 
only when you're on the mound, something like that. Yeah, right. That all being said, though, I just want consistency with what's yep. going on here, right? Like, if Domingo Herman washes his hands and he still gets a continued pitch in the game, Max Scherzer does the same exact thing, but he gets thrown out. It's just like, it's just, uh, you know, when it comes to balls and strikes, sure, every umpire is maybe a little bit different. Right. When it comes to something that's just the rules of Major League Baseball, yep. just be consistent, right? That That's all we ask for. That's exactly what I was going to harp on, so great point for you there. Just give us consistency. That's all we ask for in the rule reprimanding. Like, just make sure that you have a consistent way. Like, why is Phil Cuzzy the only person who's ever ejected anybody for sticky substances? Mm -hmm. There's got to be an issue with that. Like, if you're following all of the rules, which Scherzer was, and he's doing it in front of an MLB official, there should be no problems. There should be no problems. They really shouldn't. So, very weird scenario here. Hopefully Scherzer's suspension goes fast and the Mets can win without him, but it was just a weird scenario, and... He wasn't cheating, everybody, just for reference. He was not cheating. He's not using sticky stuff. He was sweating rosin. The alcohol that he used to wash his hands made it worse. This is just a weird scenario. It's a one-off thing. So don't be worried about Scherzer if you roster him in fantasy. And if you're worried about this ejection and this suspension, it's all good. He's not cheating. He's good. Everything's fine. (laughs) Starling Marte of the Mets was removed from Wednesday's game against the Dodgers due to neck stiffness. He's apparently feeling a little bit better and could be off the bench on Friday. So... Keep an eye out for Marte. He should be okay. Carlos Carrasco of the Mets was placed on the 15-day IL due to a small bone spur in his right elbow. The hope is for Carrasco to resume throwing in two weeks after receiving an injection to reduce the swelling and discomfort in his right elbow. If the issue doesn't subside, however, he could undergo a similar surgery to the one he had in 2021, which kept him out of baseball for a while. So fingers crossed for Carlos Carrasco. Moving on to another Carlos, Carlos Rodon of the Yankees, had additional testing done on his back and everything came back normal. They're still waiting for some more test results before determining the next step in his rehabilitation process. So, Carlos Rodon is still not out of the water yet, but should be back relatively soon. Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees was placed on the 10-day IL on Sunday with a grade 2 left hamstring strain. He's expected to miss 4-6 to weeks. Will Smith of the Dodgers was placed on the 7-day concussion IL. He was eligible to return on Thursday and did not. He also won't be returning for the weekend series. However, manager Dave Roberts said that he's only days away from rejoining the lineup. They're most likely just being cautious with their star catcher, and rightfully so, but hopefully he returns to the lineup next week. Michael Grove of the Dodgers was placed on the 15-day IL with a right groin strain. Look out for either the return of Tony Gonsolin or the call-up of Gavin Stone. I think Gavin Stone is a must-add for anybody out there if he does get the call. I would put him a little bit above Mason Miller in terms of priority. So look out for Gavin Stone. He's very good. Jorge Mateo of the Orioles was removed from Wednesday's game due to right hip discomfort. Hopefully it's nothing serious, but keep an eye out on Mateo's status in the next few days. He said he was available off of the bench on Friday, so it looks like he avoided a legitimate injury. So that's good at least. We mentioned last week that Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers was placed on the 15-day IL, but news came out that he has been diagnosed with a subscapular strain in his right shoulder. It's going to be a much longer absence than the original two-week estimation. There's no timetable for his return currently, but obviously for any people that roster Woodruff, it's quite a blow because he is supposed to be your ace. Corbin Burns of the Brewers left his start on Monday, April 17th due to a left pectoral strain. However, he's likely to make his next scheduled start on Sunday against the Red Sox. Big sigh of relief there for all of the fantasy managers that roster him. Avoided a big problem there. 
Garrett Mitchell of the Brewers was placed on the 10-day IL with a left shoulder subluxation. He underwent an MRI on Thursday, and we're still waiting on the result of that before determining the severity of the injury and the time that he'll miss, but it looked pretty bad. He made a throw, and it looked like he really heaved it, and doesn't look too good for Garrett Mitchell. Alex Wood of the Giants was placed on the 15-day IL with a left hamstring strain. Chris Bubich of the Royals was placed on the 15-day IL with a left flexor strain. It was later mentioned that Bubich will undergo Tommy John surgery and be out for the remainder of the season. So, man, that hype train was short-lived, huh, John? <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Like, it was just like, hype, 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 Bubich, and then his, his start, and then just, oh. Well, we'll see you next year, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it was like, hey, everybody, drop 200 dollars in fab budget on Bubich and okay that's the last time you'll see him <laughs> yeah it was it, yeah it's a little tough Trevor Rogers of the Marlins was removed from Wednesday's start against the Giants with left forearm tightness definitely not good news but we don't have any more information quite yet so keep an eye on Rogers Mariners general manager Jerry DePoto believes that Robbie Ray could return in the middle of May but apparently it's just a guess I'm not sure what that's all about, but I saw the news when I was doing my research for this segment, and I figured I'd mention it. What is that? <laughs> uh, it's Mariners speak. I don't know. Jerry Depoto, like for for all the, the for all the positive stuff that have happened to the Mariners, like Jerry Depoto is still kind of just a not a great GM. Yeah, I just remember that whole thing where he was talking to a bunch of what season ticket holders or investors on Zoom, yeah. and that uh-huh. went down. Like I just always get that memory in my head when I hear Jerry DePoto, but how do you just guess that someone's just, yeah, he's going to be back, you know, sometime then. Sure. Yeah, any, yeah, 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 exactly. Any yeah. sources or doctor? doctor but, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen the MRIs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any sources or doctor information there? No, just feel good about it. You know? <laughs> okay, yeah. Jerry, whatever you say. Yeah. Chaz McCormick of the Astros was placed on the 10-day IL retroactive to April 15th with lower back tightness. McCormick has been off to a hot start as the everyday leadoff hitter in place of Altuve for the Strohs, so hopefully he can come back soon and keep up that production. Hunter Green of the Reds was hit with a comebacker on his right tibia during his start on Monday against the Rays. Thankfully, X-rays came back negative and it only resulted in a contusion. He should be making his next start on Sunday against the Pirates. I believe that was confirmed, so good for Hunter Green being okay. And also during this time, Green signed a six-year, $53 million contract extension. So good for you, Hunter Green. Get that bag. Jacob deGrom of the Rangers left his start on Monday against the Royals in the fourth inning with right wrist soreness. He had a no-hitter and five strikeouts when he was pulled, so he was dominating, but this is not good news, of course. deGrom told reporters on Tuesday that he expects to make his next scheduled start against the Athletics on Sunday, but take that with a grain of salt. The Rangers might be extra careful with their ace, and I've seen this one too many times with deGrom as a Mets fan, and I wouldn't have full confidence in him starting on Sunday. He probably will, but... If he doesn't, I would not be surprised. So just make sure you're aware of that. Logan Ohapi of the Angels was placed on the 10-day IL with a left shoulder injury. He swung awkwardly in the ninth inning, and it looks similar to the injury Tatis went through with the shoulder subluxation. He stayed in the game and got a single afterwards, but it didn't look too good, and he was placed on the IL the very next day. So I think this is a similar injury. I think this is a subluxation, and I don't think we'll see Ohapi for a little bit of time. So if you do roster him going to be a lengthy IL stint, I think. Kenta Maeda of the Twins left his start on Thursday after taking a 111.6 mile per hour comebacker to the shin. Unfortunate. What's with all these guys getting hit in the leg with comebackers? First Green, then Maeda. What's going on? Blame the shift. Yeah, blame the shift. (laughs) (laughs) Maeda's got to shift off the mat a little bit better. Uh. 
Jorge Polanco of the Twins was activated from the 10-day IL on Friday. With that news, Edward Julian was sent down to the minors. Unfortunate, but rightfully so. Jamison Tyone of the Cubs was placed on the 15-day IL with a mild to moderate left groin strain. Madison Bumgarner was DFA'd by the Diamondbacks. After having a 10 ERA and being an overall grump, the Diamondbacks decided to let him go. Many speculated that Brandon Fott would be called up to take his place, but instead it's Tommy Henry. I don't know how long that will last. We'll probably see Fott sooner rather than later, and if so, he is a very, very good pitcher. He's not on the level of, let's say, Grayson Rodriguez or Taj Bradley for me, but he would be above Gavin Stone. So I'd place him right between Bradley and Stone if you're looking for priority ads here. I would put it Bradley, Fott, Stone, Miller in that order. So just be wary of that. If Fott gets the call, be ready to pick him up. Daniel Bard of the Rockies was activated from the 15-day IL and pitched a scoreless inning against the Pirates on Wednesday. Glad to see him back after suffering through some anxiety. It's always nice to see that his mental health is doing better. And speaking of Bard and mental health, Trevor May of the Athletics was placed on the 15-day IL due to anxiety-related issues. I love Trevor May the human. He's a great streamer. I know someone who knows him, and I've talked to him before. He's really, really nice. So I hope that he can get his mental health together and come back stronger on the mound. Also makes good YouTube content. Just overall great human being. So Trevor May, hopefully you can feel better soon and get that mental health right. Also of the Athletics, Danny Jimenez was transferred to the 60-day IL with a right shoulder strain. And between those two guys being on the injured list, I have no idea who's closing out games for the Athletics. So they might not <laughs> even win a game. Who knows? I'm not sure what's happening there, but stay away from that bullpen. That's all I can say. But some positive news on the Athletics side. Mason Miller was called up by the Oakland Athletics and started his first game on Wednesday. He went 4.1 innings pitched with two earned runs, four hits, one walk, and five strikeouts against the Cubs. He looks really good with his 100-mile-per-hour average fastball, cutter, and slider combo. Take a flyer on him anywhere that you can. Like I said, I already gave you the order. Taj Bradley, Fott, Gavin Stone, Mason Miller in that order for me. But they all have insane upside, so you can't go wrong with any of them. And last but not least, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres returned to the lineup on Thursday, April 20th from his 80-game PED suspension. Get him back in your lineups ASAP. He went 0 for 5 with two strikeouts in his first game back, but obviously don't panic. He was looking good in his minor league rehab assignment, but Tatis is back. John, any extra notes about the news here? Um, not really. I mean, yeah, big Trevor May fan here, obviously, because he pitched for the Twins as well and yep. was like a all-around great human being while he was here. Kind of sad when he ended up at the Mets. Um, so it is what it is. Uh, yeah, hopefully he gets um, he's able to get better during this time off. And... Um, yeah, uh, Fernando Tatis is back, and um, hopefully uh, that start was not an auspicious beginning to uh, this season. <laughs> yeah, he definitely has some big upside and big hopes for people that drafted him in fantasy, especially because he really didn't have a discount. He was going in the first and second round everywhere. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you drafted him, you really need him to be one of your stars, and yep. I think he'll get back to it, but you never know when someone gets suspended with PEDs. Like, was he on them the whole time? Does he need them to be good? Obviously, right. you know, he hit three home runs in one game in the minors during his right. stint back. But it's so, the minors. Yeah, yeah, right. You take that with a grain of salt, but he still looked okay. I mean, I think he's going to be fine, but you never know. You never know. But before we get into the weekly performance recap, we're going to take a short break, so stay tuned. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. 
Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, and we're back. We're going to just jump right into weekly performance recaps. Uh, just as a reminder, we pretty much get all of our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles over on the Pitcherless website. Uh, definitely check out the Batters Box articles, the SB Roundup articles are just incredible resources to read uh, every single day to see how players performed each day. Uh, but getting right into it, starting for the weekend, uh, April 14th to the 16th, we're going to start off with Ian Happ with the Cubs. Went 4 for 4 with two doubles, a home run, a run, three RBI, one walk, and one stolen base. Uh, Happ did it all for the Cubs on Friday. Notable fact was pretty much all four of his hits were over 95 miles an hour, uh, hard hits, and he solidified the Cubs' lead over the Dodgers with a two-run shot in the eighth. Happ's now slashing 304, 402, 507. Uh, nice round numbers there. Um, he's really helped himself uh, by boosting his walk rate. He's also showing off the speed as well. Got a bag, and he already has three on the season. His career high was nine, uh, both in 2021 and 2022. So he's well on his way to break that. Uh, we'll see if the speed continues for Happ. He's not exactly known as a fast guy, but, uh, you know, he, he might be able to get a couple bags here and there. Uh, Will Myers of Cincinnati went four for five with a double, two homers, four runs, and five RBI on Saturday. I honestly was expecting a Myers breakout this year as he moved to Cincy. Uh, he basically did the opposite of another guy we're going to talk about later, Brandon Jury. He went from the Padres to Cincinnati. Uh, Myers did hit 30 homers as a Padre in 2017. Yes, that's six years ago. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But he has struggled with his health. Uh, last year, I think he only managed to play like half of the games or something like that. Um, I, I still think, you know, he's, he was could have gotten a 20 homer season. I think most projections had him between 15 and 17. Um, but he's been really bad this season. Uh, he had been hitting 213 with a 549 OPS uh, over the past two weeks. But he broke out in a big way on Saturday, got two homers, which I mentioned. One of them was off Matt Strom, who was a streaming pick last week. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, but he hasn't replicated any of that power since uh, that game on Saturday. So this performance might have just been a flash in the pan. Uh, one guy on the opposite side of the spectrum in terms of talent, Ozzy Albies of Atlanta, went two for four with a double, a homer, two runs, and an RBI. Uh, surprisingly, though, Ozzy was falling in draft wards this season. Uh, his ADP was putting him in the fourth round as a third or fourth second baseman coming off the board instead of, you know, last year when he was basically the consensus best second baseman and, you know, going in the second round of most drafts. His stats this year haven't been that remarkable. He is 14th in RBI, so that's nice. Uh, but his ratios have struggled. He's about average in, in in batting average and slugging. He's also well below average in OBP. So, yeah, really the ratios aren't helping anyone at all. He does have elite contact skills, though. Based on PLV right now, he has 65-grade contact, which is good. Uh, the only problem is that everything else isn't that great. Um, he's still swinging too much at stuff that isn't the zone. Uh, you know, lots of O swing, lots of O contact, which, yes, it's it's fine if you're making contact on, on pitches outside the zone, but 
you know, usually you want batters to kind of shrink that zone a little bit so that they can hit better pitches instead of, you know, hitting these ones way out uh, out of the box and, and hoping to get, have them go for a hit. Yeah. Ian Happ is just on this Cubs team that is on fire. They are absolutely torching everything right now. And it's actually exciting. <laughs> I roster a lot of Cubs everywhere. So <laughs> very excited about all of this. I actually don't have any shares of Ian Happ. And I'm a big Ian Happ guy. So unfortunate that I don't have any shares. But it's great to see Ian Happ being incredible. Will Myers, great day for him. But yeah, we had high expectations coming into the season because now he's on mm-hmm. the Reds and we'll have everyday playing time. But he's kind of had a tough start to the year. But hopefully that kind of rebounds as it gets a little bit warmer out there. And Ozzy Albies, yeah, he's a guy that was being invested in heavily in the draft where his price wasn't getting any discount as well. So it's nice to see that he's performing a little bit better. It's not too great that he's swinging too much of stuff that isn't in the zone. It's not what you want to see. But that's kind of who Albies is. He's a good contact hitter, but he swings a lot. He's very swing happy. So, yeah, I think they're all very good players, and I think that they're going to be good for your fantasy team. Hopefully Will Myers... He's a little shaky, but I think Happ and Albies are going to have good seasons this year. Yeah, I'm really hoping for that. Uh, moving on to pitchers, we already talked about him a little bit earlier, but Trevor Rogers of Miami went up against the Diamondbacks on Friday. He pitched six innings, one run, five hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts. Uh, basically, before he got injured on Wednesday's game, the question was, is Trevor Rogers back? Uh, we were all super excited about that. Well, he certainly had great pitch separation in this start. The four-seamer was up, the changeup was down. Uh, the slider was still struggling to be effective, though. Um, but he has one of the interesting things that Tr- Rogers has done this season is reintroduce a sinker. Um, he didn't throw it at all the past two seasons. Um, I was throwing it a little bit the season before that. Um, got seven called strikes out, so it was basically stealing strikes in the zone. Uh, but let's just hope uh, that he is able to make it back from the injury. Again, we don't have any information right now. Uh, so really hoping that no news is good news for Trevor Rogers. Hunter Brown of the Astros went up against the Texas Rangers on Saturday, pitched seven innings, zero earned runs, five hits, one walk, and five strikeouts. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm just getting real tired of the Astros just developing all these good pitchers. Uh, it just seems like they, they always have another guy. Uh, guess you can't blame them, though, you know, if that's what they're good at. Keep working at it. Brown really looks like the real deal here. He's got a 1.93 ERA and a 1.02 whip on the season. In this start, Slider was doing work at his most used pitch, 36% CSW there, which included six whips. Uh, we don't have the numbers yet from his start today against Atlanta, but Brown needs to be on your radar if he's not yet rostered in your league. I think he's like 45th on, on Nick's rankings, and I wouldn't be surprised if he climbs up a little bit uh, if he goes well against uh, Atlanta. And then finally on Sunday, Zach Gallen, uh, the Diamondbacks, up against his old team in Miami. Uh, went 6.2 innings, one, uh, zero earned runs, two hits, no walks, seven strikeouts. That's two straight high-quality starts from Gallon, who hasn't given up a run uh, in those two starts. There weren't a ton of whiffs, but that really isn't Gallon's game. He's never been a big whiff guy, actually. Um, but just with those two initial blips of the season, everyone's like, oh, freaking out. Zach Allen back. Is he is he really an ace? Well, he is an ace, guys. He's top 20 in whip, strikeout rate, and CSW. Uh, he's back to being an ace, guys. Yeah, Zach Gallon is someone that he's just so good. He's really, really, really good. And it's good to see him turning out performances like this. The last two were phenomenal. And yeah, he's just an ace. There's not much more to say. He's he's an ace. Don't panic. He's been great. Hunter Brown, this is what we wanted to see out of him, right? Like mm-hmm. these kind of big games. Obviously, the five strikeouts is a little lackluster, but 28% CSW, 
pretty good, especially against the Rangers, who have a pretty decent offense. So good to see. And then Trevor Rogers, obviously, we mentioned, you know, he has an injury. Hopefully, he can come back because he looked really good in this start. So yeah. hoping he can have a speedy recovery or has no serious injury and can get back on the mound. Yeah, and I think with Trevor Rogers too, he actually looked pretty decent on his Wednesday start too. I think he went three innings, only gave up one hit and one earned run, I believe. Um, I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Yeah, three hits, sorry, three hits and then one earned run, but it had three strikeouts with him through three innings. So he clearly like had found something. It's right. just unfortunate that he just got injured again, which sucks. Yeah, that's always the sucky thing when someone gets injured after they just found something or were figuring it out. You know, mm -hmm. it's yeah, unfortunate, but hopefully he'll be okay. Moving on to Monday, April 17th, from the Hitting Recap article from Gabe Gorlnick, we've got Patrick Wisdom of the Cubs. As I mentioned before, the Cubs are going off. Wisdom went 3-for-5 with two runs, two home runs, and four RBI on Monday. This was the fourth straight day that Wisdom went deep and his fifth homer in four games. At this point, we know what we're getting out of Wisdom. He's got a lot of power and strikes out a lot. This season, though, he's hitting the ball harder than ever barreling it up better than ever, and until recently, was striking out less. He's 80% rostered on Yahoo at the moment and has first base, third base, and outfield eligibility. So if he's out there in your leagues, grab him while he's hot and while the Cubs are hot. Just know that at some point, he's probably going to cool off, and it's probably okay to cut ties with him when that happens. However, I really do like the stat cast numbers for him so far. It looks really promising. Wisdom looks good. Everything is better than his career numbers, so... I really think Wisdom is going to be good this season. Wisdom's teammate as well, Cody Bellinger, also had a great game in this one, going 5-for-5 five five with a double and a run. Two of those hits were hard hit, and some came off of a lefty. The bounce back is looking great for Bellinger. So, like I said, man, these Cubs are looking great. Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers went 3-for-4 with two home runs, two runs, and three RBI. Nothing more to talk about, really. He's a stud. It's just nice to see Freeman hit for power like this. He only had one homer going into this game, so nice little two-homer game for Freeman. And speaking of homers, I wanted to highlight Chris Bryant of the Rockies, who is well-known on this podcast for being talked about in the news section, but he's healthy right now and hit his first home run at Coors Field in a Rockies uniform. It only took two seasons, but he finally did it. So good for you, Bryant. Keep playing well. That sounds like a fake stat. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it really does. How has it taken him an entire season? Yep, That's well, incredible. he was hurt a lot last season, obviously. I guess, yeah. But he still, in the games that he played, didn't hit a home run course. And now he finally played this season and hit a home run course. It's pretty wild. It's actually wow. it's a remarkable thing. Yep. Yeah, Patrick Wisdom is one of those really fun guys who's like he 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 always gets hot, you know, in his in in the in, during the season, and then yep. he just cools down and. Uh, but he, I mean, he does have legit power. Like that is, yeah. See, he might not have like you know Aaron Judge power, but he is a guy who for sure like could get thirty homers in a season. Um, that that's not out of the realm of possibility for uh, for Patrick Wisdom. No, yeah, Wisdom's hit twenty eight homers, I believe, and twenty five homers, and he has thirty homer power, especially if he's mm -hmm. hitting the ball as hard as he is and barreling it up as much as he is right now. He's yeah. someone who can easily hit over 30 home runs. He's not going to eclipse Judge or Alonzo or any of those no, guys. No, of course not. Yeah. Like the current pace he's on. But mm -hmm. he's going to be a great source of power. And especially because he's batting between fourth and sixth in the Cubs lineup. That seems to be just surging. Nico Horner at the top yeah. has been doing great. Swanson has even been doing great. you got Bellinger. You've got Seiya Suzuki. It's just a good lineup. Ian Happ is doing well. So mm -hmm. the, the Cubs are good. And if you can jump on any of that 
Cubs lineup, I would recommend doing so because they are looking pretty good. Yeah, he actually has protection instead of like the fire cell that the Cubs made last. Uh, yeah, the well, last last, last season their team looked horrible, and now with these moves that they made, I really like how they kind of went after these reclamation projects, right? Like, hey, yeah. give me Bellinger, sure, sign mm-hmm. Ian Happ to an extension, give me Patrick Wisdom, who was like just a journeyman kind of going around. So, I like all the things they've done. Give me Dansby Swanson, we're removing the shift. Cool. Now we have one of the best defensive shortstops. Like. Mm-hmm. I really like the moves that the Cubs made. I think it's a good team yep. context there. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the SP Roundup article from Nick Pollock on Monday. As I mentioned in the news section, this day was a bummer for a lot of top pitchers. DeGrom, Burns, and Green all left their starts early due to injury. Otani had his start cut short due to rain delays. It was a bummer all around, but these guys were not bummers on Monday. Max Fried of the Braves went five innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, no walks, and four strikeouts against the Padres. Ace is going to ace, baby. Welcome back, Fried. Not much to note here. It's just nice to see a pitcher come back relatively quickly from an injury that could have been much worse and return to his usual self right off the rip. Expect his innings and pitch total to ramp back up in his next few starts. He only threw 79 pitches in this one, but that'll obviously go back up. And Hayden Wesneski of the Cubs. God, these Cubs, man, we keep mentioning them. Seven innings pitch, one earned run, five hits, no walks, and seven strikeouts against the Athletics. Heading into the season, Wesneski was someone that a lot of people, including myself, were excited about. If he was able to lock down a rotation spot for the Cubs, well, he managed to do that, but hasn't looked too great to start the year. However, in this start, he looked really good. He had a King Cole, of course, with a 39% CSW, but the main damage came off of his slider, which had a 49% CSW with a 41% usage. I think that this is the start of the Wesneski hype train. However, he does get the Dodgers next, so we might have to hold the choo-choo for just a few days because it kind of looks like a buzzsaw, but hey, Drew Smiley on Friday nearly had a perfecto against the Dodgers, so I don't know how scary they actually are. Hayden Wesneski, I think, has been like the sleeper pick for this entire season. I like there's been a lot of hype behind Wisniewski and maybe this is just like being in pitchless circles. Like there's a lot of Wisniewski yeah, hype. Yep. Um, but Hey, he showed it was like kind of real. Uh, granted again, against the athletics. Um, I believe he goes tomorrow against the Dodgers, right? I think you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how real it is uh, when he goes up against a, a team that has legitimate um, batters. Uh, no offense to the athletics, um, uh, or maybe offense. I don't know. It, it kind of, I th- sidebar, uh, the athletics owner sucks. That's all I'm going to say. I'm, I'm pissed. He's moving them out of Oakland. Um, anyway, back to the topic at hand. Uh, yeah. Hayden Wisniewski, if he's available, go pick him up. Yeah. He's looking good. Well, uh, after that little outburst from me, uh, <laughs> on to Tuesday, April 18th, we're going to be talking about uh, batters from Mark Stubiger. Thanks for the article, Mark. Uh, we're going to start off with Taylor Walls, who's kind of been climbing some some charts in terms of rostership. Uh, he went four for five with a triple, two homers, four runs, and four RBIs. Uh, just a great day for Walls. Um, obviously, I think I think a lot of people probably picked him up after this start because uh, he is now slashing three fifty one, four twenty nine, seven thirty. Okay, let's let's be honest. Walls is not you know an all star level player. That OPS will go down. But he has dropped the strikeout rate, so that's a little bit notable. Um, he isn't starting every single day. It's it's about two out of every three games, and the Rays are going to raise, so we don't really know how good his playing time is going to be. Um, but, yeah, I, 
Taylor Walls is one of those guys where like if you're if you're looking for good ratios and you don't mind the the drop in counting stats, maybe you have someone else who can who can you know take up the load there. Uh, Walls will probably give you pretty solid performances uh, most days that he's playing. Um, but yeah, that that lack of fantasy time kind of sucks. Um, and then uh, Jack Sawinski, great to get from him. Uh, two for three with two homers, two runs, three RBI, and a walk. Uh, he looked great on Tuesday. Um, took a Jose Urena slider uh, yard early in the game in the second inning, um, and then had another homer later in the day. Just good for good for Suwinski. He's he's been a really solid player, uh, slashing two sixty five through fifty six forty seven. Again, he's not going to be able to keep up that all star OPS, but if, you know if that drops down to nine hundred. Um, I, I could see this working out for Swinski as, you know, an o- outfielder three, um, maybe an outfielder four, if, if you're in one of those five homer leagues. Um, and the best thing is, you know, you could probably drop him immediately if he um, struggles to perform to the same level. Again, the issue with him, similar to Taylor Walls, is just the lack of playing time. So um, we'll see if, if this works out for Swinski. If, if the Pirates decide to play their young players, uh, you know, uh, that might be that be a, that might be a nice thing. Yeah. So for Taylor Walls, I always <laughs> associate him with the disappointment that when the Rays needed a shortstop, I don't know if it was when they traded away Willie Adamez or like someone went down with injury, who was their starting shortstop. I'm not quite sure what the situation was, but I remember it was right around when Wander Franco was ready to be called up, and the Rays were like, "Okay, we need a shortstop. We're calling up Taylor Walls." <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was disappointed. Everyone was like, what? Call up one. What are you doing? I, so, I, I remember that season so well. Yeah. yeah. So I always remember him for that. But I actually picked up Walls in a 14-team league just recently because he's got a lot of eligibilities. And as long as he gets playing time, he should be good. He's not going to be an all-star, like you said, but he is a good option for deeper leagues. And then mm-hmm. for Sawinski, dude, I don't know if you've seen, but have you seen his stat cast numbers? Have you seen his baseball savant page? No. He looks is it like... All red? Jordan Alvarez. I mean, his <laughs> X-Woba, 100th percentile. X-Slugging, 100th percentile. Barrel mm-hmm. percentage, 100th percentile. Hard hit percentage, 95th percentile. Average Jeez. exit velocity, 97th percentile. Sprint speed, 89th percentile. I don't know why this kid's not playing every day. I know he's sitting against lefties right now, I think, because he is a left-handed batter. But, yeah. mm-hmm. man, he is torching it. Like, let this kid play. Just let him go. <laughs> you have nothing yeah. to lose. Let him go. It- it's funny with Suwinski because um, I've been trying to get him into a lot of DFS lineups, um, especially since I think the Pirates just came off a, a series in core. So I was like, oh, I have to get Suwinski. Um, oh, yeah, this game was in core. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and then half the time I get frustrated because he's not starting. And it's like this is a guy who's like, you know, maybe 2,000, 2,200. Uh, on FanDuel, it's just cheap, cheap power. Right. Yep. And then, and then, and then Pittsburgh doesn't start him, and I just, I just get frustrated. Yeah. No, I don't blame you. I mean, like I said, Sawinski is lighting up Statcast numbers, and he is just looking so good right now. I don't know. I guess I understand the platoon side of things with the left-handed stuff, but mm-hmm. just let him go. I mean, if you're swinging the bat this well, I mean, come yeah. on, let him go. Let it, let's see what you can do at the major league level against lefties, and maybe you're the next big outfielder in the game. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would just like for that to happen. So yeah, oh, we'll, yeah. we'll see Big how time. that works out. Yeah. Well, moving on to the pitchers. Thanks again to Nick Pollock for the Sale Goat article. Uh, yeah, this one hurt. Uh, Chris Sale 
of the Red Sox against my twins. Six innings, one earned run, three hits, two walks, and 11 strikeouts. Yeesh. I don't know if you saw any highlights from this game, but the slider was like absolutely disgusting. I watched the um, entire game. I have Chris Sale oh, you in did. three leagues. Oh, so oh, I was oh, watching oh. and just salivating the whole time. My jaw was on the floor the entire Dude, game. Dude, that slider looked so good. Yep. Like it was just like the Frisbee action on it. Just half the time you're like, oh, that's going in the zone. And then it finishes outside the zone, but they swing. And then the other half of the time, like, oh, that's way out of the zone. And it just clips the clips the strike zone. It was and just honestly. It, his slider has been really good this season. His slider has been mm-hmm. looking like that in a lot of his starts. I've watched most of them because obviously Sale has been struggling, and I'm like, what's going on with this dude? Let me watch. The main right. problem was his fastball, not only the velocity, mm-hmm. but the location. The location was like middle-middle every time. He had no idea where the ball was going most of the mm-hmm. time. But yep. his slider is the one thing that's looked insanely good the whole season, and it really showcased in this start. Yeah, like yeah, that the I mean, like you mentioned, so the fastball was nine whips, eight called strikes, forty-two percent CSW. Yep. The slider itself, forty-six percent CSW. But the impressive thing with the slider was six whips, but eight called strikes. Yep. Like he was just working the zone. It was, um, it looked like prime sale. I don't know if he's back completely, but he looked elite on on Tuesday. So, um, you know, hopefully for those guys who roster him, it, it's working out for you, uh, or it will work out for you. And then uh, we already talked about this guy plenty of times, but Todd Bradley went up against the Reds. 5.1 innings, zero runs, three hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts. Like I mentioned, kind of bummed I missed out on Bradley in all my leagues. He showed up against Cincinnati. Yeah, it's get, it's nice to get spotted a 10-run lead, but you still have to pitch. Um, he had an elite fastball, like we mentioned, uh, 29% CSW, and that was the only pitch that yielded hits. He only gave up three hits, like I mentioned. The secondaries were really solid as well, combined 35% CSW. Um uh, you know, great start uh, for Bradley, and he he runs into a buzzsaw next, so he'll be tested. Um, but hopefully, he comes out the other end looking like the potential ace we all know he can be. And then finally, shout out to Clayton Kershaw, obviously the goat, the true goat here, earned his 200th career win. Uh, I believe it's like seven shutout innings from from Kersh. Um, so yeah, great for Kersh. Obviously, um, big history for for the game. It'll be tough to see. Um, a lot more of these younger pitchers get to 200 wins, but it's nice to see that uh, Kirsch is able to get to that platform now. Yeah, that Kershaw 200th win came against the Mets, so I was watching that start the whole time, and he looked so good. It was unbelievable. He actually got into a bit of a jam in his final inning, and it was his last mm-hmm. batter, really. He had like a 13-pitch at-bat with Mark Hanna, and it like kind of frustrated him. But then two batters later, he struck him out, and his reaction on the mound was legendary honestly I think it's the coldest photo that was taken in MLB so far this season it was all over Twitter but he just like has both of his arms close to his chest kind of like the typical Kershaw celebration and he was like Mm -hmm. yelling and you could just tell it meant a lot to him because you knew it was his 200th win you knew that it was his last batter you knew he wanted to get through it and didn't want to give it to the bullpen it was a 3-0 game at that point so you know he was excited about it and it was really cool to watch even though he beat my Mets and the Mets lost It was an awesome moment. I mean, I love the game of baseball outside of being a Mets fan, and I love cool moments like that. So I will always be smiling and happy when moments like that happen, even if it's against my team because I love baseball. Yep. Taj Bradley, stud, as I said, get him if he's available anywhere. We already talked a lot about him, so I'm not going to mention anything more. And then, like I said with Chris Sale, as long as his location with the fastball is good, as long as he knows where it's going and he can throw it at the corners, Mm -hmm. he's back. But if he doesn't have his location, uh, it's not going to be good. Yeah. Moving on to Wednesday, April 19th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article from Jim Chatterton, we've got Brandon Nimmo of the Mets, who went 5-for-5 with a homer, two runs, and two RBI. 
Nimmo has been insanely good this season, even though the home run that he hit in this game, which was off of former teammate Noah Syndergaard, by the way, was his first of the season. His stat cast numbers are insane. 88th percentile max exit velo, 87th percentile hard hit percentage, 94th percentile x woba, 96th percentile x batting average, 72nd percentile and x slug. I could go on. Nimmo has a 488 OBP. I didn't say that wrong. He has a 488 OBP for the season so far and has even chipped in three steals which he hasn't incorporated into his game much throughout his career his most I believe for a season was nine so Nimmo stealing bases now with the changes to the bags might have a 10 stolen base season which is always <laughs> welcome and what's funny about this is I actually bet on Nimmo to hit a homer in this game against Ooh. Noah Syndergaard and I, by accident, so I bet it once, but I didn't see it go through. So I bet it again. And then when I looked back, I was like, oh no, I didn't want to put that much on a Nimmo <laughs> yeah. homer. And then he hit a homer. So he made me a lot there of money you go. and I'm yeah. very happy about that. So thank you, Nimmo. That was, that was good. But this is actually Nimmo's second five hit game of his career. And I think he's someone that is just criminally underrated in fantasy and real life. He's obviously more valuable in OBP leagues and point leagues because he doesn't strike out much either. So Nimmo's just a good player, man. He is worth every penny of that contract we gave him. His defense is amazing. He's robbed, like, so many home runs and just doubles in the gap already this season that it's remarkable. So, big shout-out to my guy, Nimmo. And then speaking of first homers of the season, Trey Turner of the Phillies went 3-for-5 with a double. Homer, two runs, two RBI, and a stolen base. Trey's been off to a rough start this season, but it's nice to see a game like this to remind you what he should be doing more often than not. The steal marks his fourth of the season, and in this game, he also had three hard-hit balls. Those were nice to see since Turner's hard-hit rate so far has been 10% lower than his career average while hitting the ball in the air more often. Not a great combo since that predominantly leads to more pop-outs, which is what he's been doing this season. Everything else, though, looks fine for Turner. He's getting on base a lot, scoring runs, and stealing bags. He's a stud and should give you the numbers that you drafted him in the first round for by the end of the year. Yeah, Turner used up all his power in the WBC, so he's just getting it back right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy, too, because obviously draft season starts, like, right after the WBC. Right, So yeah. after everyone sees this extreme power output from Trey Turner, he kind of jumps up the board a lot. Even though he was already going, like, one, two, or three overall, he made right, people yeah. really want to take him first overall because people are like, oh, my God, 40-40 season. <laughs> mm -hmm, right. The thing, though, is that the average is still great, right? Like, yep. He's he's still batting three fourteen. Um, he's still uh, able to generate runs at a pretty high rate. On granted, a Phillies team that kind of sucks offensively right now. Um, so even even though you have this little bit of a dud at the beginning of the season, um, he's still been yeah he's still been really really good. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, these both are guys that were signed in the offseason. Obviously, Nimmo with the same team, and Trey Turner right. went to the Phillies from the Dodgers. But they are guys that are going to perform in the leadoff spot for both of their teams for mm -hmm. probably the whole season. Nimmo, obviously, counting stat-wise, is not going to be as prominent as Trey Turner, obviously. But mm -hmm. for OBP leagues, if you need runs, OBP, a little bit of steals, some RBI, Nimmo is going to be great. I think he really went undervalued in drafts this season. Yeah, the really cool thing about Nimmo, and I think you mentioned this with his his stack has numbers just being insane. Um, his walk rate is incredibly high, yep. and he cut his strikeout rate in half. Yep. So he he not only is hitting the ball hard and getting on base, uh, 
a lot of that is because he's walking a lot more and swinging less. So, yeah, good for Nimmo. Yeah, he's always been a good OBP guy. He takes a lot of walks, sprints down to first base after every walk, but cutting that strikeout rate down was huge mm -hmm. and is going to lead to a monster season for Nimmo. Yeah. Moving on to pitchers from the SP Roundup article, Sweet Cherry Garcia from Nick Pollock. We've got Luis Garcia of the Astros, who went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the Blue Jays. My, oh my, what a start from Garcia. He earned himself a golden goal with this gem of a performance by racking up a remarkable 23 whiffs and having a 41% CSW against one of the top offenses in the league. Nick Pollock has been begging Garcia to lower his fastball usage, and in this one, he finally did it. Garcia mainly used his cutter in this one, and it had 19 whiffs. He had 19 whiffs in 51 cutters thrown, which is a 38% swinging strike rate. Absolutely bonkers. If Garcia can continue using this pitch mix and relying more on the cutter, he can easily be a top 40 pitcher. Nick Martinez of the Padres went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, three hits, two walks, and six strikeouts against the Braves. In the offseason, I talked a lot about my interest in both Seth Lugo and Nick Martinez, mainly Lugo, and Lugo's been great so far this season, but Martinez really looked great in this one. He was elevating his fastball a ton and throwing his sinker inside, which is a recipe for success with Martinez. His next two starts are against the Cubs and the Reds, and Nick said he's back in, so I'm in. Hopefully, we can see more of this Martinez moving forward. Hopefully, those secondaries work as well, and he can keep locating that fastball up and that sinker inside. It just looks so good for him when it's on, and hopefully, he can keep that up against two. I mean, I guess the Cubs are a really hot matchup right now, so it's, it's not too good, but the Reds have been horrible, so that's a really good one there. And then, last but not least, Johan Oviedo of the Pirates. He went six innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, three walks, and six strikeouts against the Rockies at Coors Field. Oviedo was probably one of the most picked up players over the weekend after his dominant performance against the Cardinals, and man, is he paying off already. That's three straight quality starts for Oviedo, and the Pirates are actually hitting and scoring runs for him to be able to get wins. In those three starts, he's gotten two wins already. His command is a bit shaky still, and his next start comes against the Dodgers, but he's looking like someone that could be a solid addition to your rotation. You may want to sit him for that Dodgers start, but now is the time to pick him up if he's still out there because he's found something. I'm not sure what that something is, but he's found something because it looks good out there. Yeah, Oviedo had like, um, he was actually one of those like sleeper PLV guys. Um, oh, okay. So, and this was like back early in the preseason, like if you were listening to... Um, like on the corner, uh, the, yeah, there was a lot of like Oviedo talk of like, oh yeah, he's he's got a little sneaky like PLV sort of darling to him. Um, yeah, it's worked out, but it's it also feels a little lucky. I'll just say that because he did this at course. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. This Dodger start obviously will be a, a good test, but it it also might not be because he might get blown out and be like, okay, he's bad against the Dodgers, but you know who isn't. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not exactly the greatest uh, pitcher analysis out there, obviously. Uh, but Luis Garcia, I, I was I was at his start against the Twins, and he was struggling a lot with the pitch clock. Okay. Uh, because, I mean, that was the thing, right? He had the yep. rock the baby motion, right? It, yep. And that got banned. And so um, he, he didn't get any violations that game, but he was like, he was basically starting his motion when it got to, you know, zeros. And then only when a guy got on base and then the pitch clock went up to 20 seconds, did he look, you know, more comfortable. Right. So there's a potential here with at that after basically three, four starts, 
He's like, it, yes, there's the pitch. There's the pitch mix change for sure. Can't discount that. Yep. But he also might just be starting to feel more comfortable with having less time to pitch on the mound. Yeah, I completely agree with that sentiment, too, because that was the one thing. I guess the two main guys we were worried about going into the season mm-hmm. with their whole motion. Well, I guess three. I'm going to say three. It was Luis Garcia, one, obviously, with yep. that ridiculous motion. Chris Bassett, yep. who was struggling in the postseason to even get pitch calm going. I didn't know how he was going to work it. And mm-hmm. Kenley Jansen, the closer for the Red yep. Sox. So mm-hmm. those three guys really needed to make changes to how they approached stuff. And I guess in the beginning of the season, they're just trying to get their feet wet and going. And right now, Kenley Jansen looks great. Chris Bassett mm-hmm. turned things around big. And Luis Garcia looks fantastic now, too. So... Obviously, Garcia had that pitch mix change, which is the big proponent of it. But I think Mm -hmm. you're right. I think him being more comfortable, being able to, you know, be in his own with his new release and his new windup. I think that's a big thing. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the more comfort you can get on the mound and the more you're just kind of feeling yourself like, yeah, it's just going to result in in, in a better performance. Completely agree. Yeah. Well, moving on to Thursday's performances. uh, Thanks to Seth Kuzmeyer for his hitting recap. I'm going to start with James Outman of the Dodgers. Went two for five with two homers, two runs, and five RBI. Uh, raise your hand if you knew who James Outman was before this year. Our hands no are one? down, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea who James Outman was. Um, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, he uh, he had two homers on Thursday, like I mentioned. His season total is now five. Uh, he's got 15 RBI as well. He's a top 20 player based on slugging. The strikeout rate's kind of high, though. It's like 30%. Um, he is getting a lot of walks though, which is nice. Um, I don't know. The, the, the real thing, the real question everyone's asking, right, is how real is this breakout? According to PLV metrics, Outman's got legit power. Um, he is a pretty good decision maker at the plate too, despite that 30% strikeout rate, which is kind of funny. Um, the contact though needs work, uh, which again, maybe could be referenced by the fact that he has got that high strikeout rate. Uh, but he does look like a legitimate difference at the plates. Um, I think in most 12 teamers, he's probably worth a pickup. Um, you know, as, as your last outfielder, um, and obviously if you have five outfielder spots, definitely pick up Outman. I think he's, he's worth it there. And then Xander Bogarts of the Padres, two for four with a homer, two runs, a two RBI on Thursday. We already mentioned this, but Tatis came back. Uh, but it was actually other Padres shortstop that showed, uh, that showed up. Bogarts has continued his dominant start to the season. He's currently slashing 362, 435, 80. Uh, basically some all-star numbers right there. He's just behind Jorge Mateo for the highest OPS among shortstops. One of the biggest improvements this year for Bogarts is that the K rate has come down. He's whiffing a lot less, going from an 11.3 swinging strike rate to 5.4% in uh, through 20 games this season. So, you know, small metric there, a uh, small sample size there, but um, still pretty solid. The PLV metrics haven't completely stabilized for him, so it's hard to say, you know, how much of this is, is real. Uh, but based on the sample size of around 300 pitches, um, his strike zone judgment is still only about league average, uh, but he's making good decisions. Um, he's in the 75th percentile there. So I'll be interested to see if this improved strikeout rate sticks, uh, because that is kind of one of the biggest changes he's made this season. Uh, but for now, continue the ride the wave with Xander Bogarts. So Xander Bogarts is someone I was criminally low on for the last two seasons. And mm-hmm. he's one of those guys that just has one of those boring profiles for numbers when it comes to fantasy. You know what I mean? Like he yep. puts up very consistent numbers, but for some reason I was just scared off of the power. It kind of dips down and everything. He doesn't have speed. So he doesn't have that element. He was always a guy mm-hmm. that was giving you 25 to 30 homers and like a hundred RBI from the shortstop position, which is so valuable. But now that shortstop is so deep, 
I kind mm -hmm. of wrote off Bogarts for the most part. Like, I don't want any part of him. And I really should have been more in on him. And the one thing that really scared me, though, is that his stat cast numbers are bad. And, but they're always bad. That's the thing. Like, oh, yeah. they, they've never been good. And His hard contact numbers are atrocious. Yeah, and that's the thing. is like That should scare you off, rightfully mm -hmm. so. But his hard hit numbers and stuff are never good. And that's similar to people like Nolan Arenado, who mm -hmm. doesn't ever have good numbers, but finds a way to put up 30, 40 homer seasons every season. So right. at certain points, you have to realize that, like, hey, sure, these numbers don't look great, but it doesn't matter for these guys. There's outlier guys to the things, and Bogarts is one of those guys. So he's having a great start to the season. I don't know how long it'll keep up but I trust him now more I was very low on him going into the season so I trust him a lot more now and James Altman looks like a real breakout star if he's batting leadoff yeah. or fifth or sixth for the Dodgers get him if he's out there still I don't know what league he would be out there in because he's rostered in my 10 team leagues my 12 team leagues mm -hmm. my 15 team leagues so he's pretty much gone everywhere but James yeah. Altman looks really really good and I think in 10 team leagues 12 team leagues even three outfielder leagues five outfielder leagues he should be rostered. He's looking great. Mm -hmm. it, the other thing about Xander Bogarts that we can't forget was that he was a righty who was leaving Fenway. Right, right? exactly. Like, yep. That's the reason why his average, his OBP are so high because he just can take advantage of, of, of the green monster yep, big time. to get hits. So he goes from there to Petco, which is one of the more, you know, hitter unfriendly parks, so to speak. Yep. And so obviously we'd expect a little bit of a regression, but he's hitting the ball better. He's got a higher OBP this season. Um, again, it's only 20 games. Let's not get that excited, but right. he is for sure, you know, at, at least the top three shortstop right now. Yeah. Agreed. Well, moving on to pitchers then, uh, with Nick Pollock's article, keep Strom and carry on. We're going to start with Matt Strom, who, yes, he had a dud, uh, but he came back uh, against Colorado of all teams, 5.1 innings, three earned runs, three hits, two walks and 11 strikeouts. Um, you probably dropped Strom after his dud against the Reds for good reason. Um, and you probably didn't start him against this game against Rocky Road, even though it was a good matchup. Um, really don't blame you guys, because when you suck against the Reds uh, away from Great American Small Park, uh, that can be a little worrying. Uh, but he came alive on Thursday. He increased the usage on his curveball to 30%. It worked. It got a 48% CSW with eight whiffs alone. He also managed 82 pitches, which is a lot more than what Matt Strom usually pitches at. Uh, the problem with Strom is, again, he rarely goes six, right? They pulled him after 82 pitches. He's usually kind of hovering in that 60 to 70 range. Um, this start really just feels like an aberration rather than an indication that he's found something that he can hold on to for the rest of the season. I still think he's probably worth a good stream against bad opponents because when you're only you know able to go five, that's where you can get those wins usually. Yep. Um, the ratios and the, the, the strikeout rate are, are elite. Like, it's just... It's really good for him, but it's really tough to rely on him. Just like I mentioned for wins, quality starts, um, or even innings, if that's one of the categories in the leagues that you're in. And then another Red Sox pitcher, Tanner Houck, uh, going against my twins yet again, seven innings, three earned runs, six hits, one walk and seven strikeouts. It's a great day for Houck as both the splitter and the slider were on. The singer was actually kind of good too. He stole six called strikes there. Good for your 56% CSW. It's actually kind of funny with the sinker because if you just look at the the um, uh, where those pitches were going, uh, they're just like straight up in like right in the middle of the strike zone, and he was able to steal some steal some strikes with that. Um, the only problem is, like that sinker, the the cutter which he also throws a bit was also in the zone. Um, there's he doesn't really like uh, separate his pitches that well. They're all kind of just 
in 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 the zone kind of somewhere in the heart of the plate somewhere just kind of right on the shadow he he just doesn't have really great command um if he really can't get any other pitchers because he's have this slider going on a normal day he's just he's just not that good um and the other thing too with the red sox is that they're kind of considering you know do we go with stick with the six man to keep tanner hauk up do back to the fight uh, a five man rotation so Hauk's status is kind of up in the air right now so kind of combine that with basically you know, poor location with those cutters and sinkers. Um, it's tough to kind of recommend him even after he has a good start like this on Thursday. Yeah, and James Paxton might be on his way back as well. So who knows mm -hmm. what that rotation is going to look like a month from now. So it's hard to trust Hauk. Hauk has good stuff, but it's really his locations. And I don't know, Hauk is kind of very hit or miss. He seems like a premium cherry bomb in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And... I like the upside of him, but I just can't trust him at this very moment. And same with Matt Strom, really. I mean, his stuff is yeah. great. He gets the strikeout yeah. numbers, but I can't trust him in a quality start league, for instance. He'll never go mm -hmm. six, really. They just pull him after right. such low amount of pitches. So, yeah, both of these guys are kind of fringy, more streamer-worthy guys. Or in deeper leagues, you probably roster them. I'd say in a 15-team league or NL mm -hmm. only or AL only, you're probably rostering these guys. But, yeah, these guys are kind of fringe starters for your team. And lastly, just wanted to note, on Friday, April 21st, Drew Smiley had a perfect game through seven against the Dodgers. He lost it to an infield hit from David Peralta. It was crazy because it was like the dinkiest of hits. And <laughs> Smiley ran over to pick it up and throw it over. And it would have been a close play. I don't know if they would have got him for sure. I think they would have because Peralta's not that fast. But mm -hmm. Jan Gomes was also going for the ball. And... Smiley bent down because he's a lefty bent down with his back towards the catcher and Jan Gomes was looking at the ball and wasn't looking at Smiley and kind of just tackled Smiley and nothing <laughs> happened. So that's the way they lost the perfect game. It was kind of rough to see, but Drew Smiley was dominating and who would have put that on their bingo card? I actually let Drew Smiley go two weeks ago in TGFBI after his two really bad starts that I pretty much drafted him for and on uh -huh. Nick's recommendation as well. Nick said like, Hey, He's got two good starts to start the season. If he looks yeah. good, keep him. But if he doesn't, cut bait. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what I did. I mean, I genuinely liked that info. I liked what I saw from Smiley previously. So those two games were horrible. I got rid of him. I picked up Lugo instead. And then his next two starts are, like, amazing. And one yeah. against the Dodgers. I would have never penciled that. So good on right. you, Smiley. Way to go. And also, the Cubs went off again offensively. Horner, Bellinger, Wisdom, and Mancini all hit home runs in this one, leading to a 13-0 to defeat of the Dodgers. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, they actually stomped the Dodgers hard. Bellinger's looking great. Wisdom's looking great. Horner's having a season, hit his first home run in this one. I mean, these Cubs are going. Yeah. Also, Julio Arias giving up two homers is kind of huge. Yep. He has not looked great. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. He started off the season really well, but recently yeah. it's not looked good for mm -hmm. Arias. But... Yeah, I mean, I never thought Smiley was going to perfecto the Dodgers in seven. I mean, that's not what you expect, especially hey, if you streamed them. Kudos to you, because that's a big start to get. But now we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Jack Connors to talk about his article, The Muffin Man, How Well Do We Know Brandon Drury? Stay tuned. All right, we're back and joined by pitcherless writer Jack Connors. Jack, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course, it's our pleasure. Now, before we get into your article, tell us a little bit about yourself, like how long you've been playing fantasy for, or what team you're a fan of in real life. Yeah, I've been, I've been playing fantasy for probably 
probably 15 years since I was a kid, um, just, you know, playing with friends, um, but have found myself uh, oftentimes obsessing over baseball a little more than, than my competitors. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I started writing a little bit as a hobby um, and then um, kind of stumbled upon Pitcher List earlier, earlier this year. And uh, I've been writing there for, for about a month now, actually. So pretty new, pretty new to the team. Um, I am, I suppose, unfortunately, a, a huge Pittsburgh Pirates fan. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it's been a, <laughs> it's, it's not been a charmed life, but, uh, the pain keeps me coming back, I suppose. Yeah. At least you're getting the Brian Reynolds breakout year, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting that. We're getting, uh, we're getting some over, over performance early in the season. So it's, it's been a, a much more watchable product so far than it has the past couple years. Um, so, you know. Hopefully, greener pastures are ahead. But Jack Sawinski we'll looks good. O'Neill Cruz was supposed to break out, unfortunate injuries. So you've got some highlights this year so far. It's not too bad as a Pirates fan. You guys are playing well right now. Yeah, yeah, we are. But I'm not counting my chickens just yet. We'll, yeah, uh, I, I'll give it a few more weeks. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I agree with that. Do you have actually an early fantasy memory since you said you've been playing for 15 years? Is there anything that sparks your mind? Like one thing for me is when I was playing way back in the day, I remember Edwin Encarnacion on the Reds as a third baseman and drafting him in like the 14th round. So do you have any wild memories like that with fantasy? Yeah. Uh, Diamondbacks, Chris Young. Oh, um, okay. Had like, I think it was like maybe 2011, 20, 2010, 2011. Had like a really random good season. Um, and I got him... I might have got him off waivers. I can't remember. It's been so long. But either got him really late or got him off waivers and, and he killed it for me. Um, nice. A little diamond in the rough. Cool. <laughs> well, uh, the player we're talking about, uh, obviously, is Brandon Drury. Um, Love the title, The Muffin Man. How well do we know Brandon Drury? Uh, and so with, with Drury, obviously, the he kind of broke out. He kind of came out of nowhere last year. Uh, but he was somewhat of like a highly touted prospect um you know not not necessarily like a top 10 sort of guy but you know a guy that you know had some promise um so as a prospect you know what were some of his kind of higher grade tools that pointed to you know potential to to stay in the majors yeah so well first of all i can't i can't take credit for the title um that was adam <laughs> our our content manager came up oh, okay. with that and, and i loved it so it stuck um in 2010 by the braves um, kind of struggled out of the gate in the minors. Mm-hmm. Um, 2012, they traded him to the Diamondbacks in the trade that sent uh, Justin Upton to Atlanta. Um, so yeah, to, to your point, he was when he graduated you know, prospect rankings in 2015. I think MLB.com had him as the Diamondbacks number seven. So you know, not a top 100 guy, but kind of a, a fringy top 10, um, top 10 prospect in the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, no crazy tools, um, but he was kind of expected to be like this gap power, run into a couple home runs guy. Uh, MLB.com's write-up that year had, you know, kind of described this short, compact swing that he had um, and really that, that power of the gaps with some home run power. And I think you, you saw that early in his career a little bit. Um, 2016 and 2017, he gets – you know, his first dose of regular playing time with the Diamondbacks. Um, 2016, 282 average, 16 homers. 
31 doubles. Um, average drops off a little the following year, but 37 doubles, 13 home runs. So kind of as build um, as a prospect. Um, but the uh, the wheels kind of fall off after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's maybe to say it lightly. Uh, it's 642 OPS in 2019. And you mentioned also he had – 49 plate appearances in the, the shortened season, which still isn't a lot. Um, and then 88 plate appearances with the Mets. So he was, he was basically an afterthought um, after those two initial uh, solid seasons with, with the Diamondbacks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think uh, one of the, the more interesting tidbits I came across was in, in his brief time with the Yankees, he, he had a stint on the injured list because he had literally blinding headaches. He, he said he went to he go to the plate with blurred vision very frequently to, wow. to reporters, which was, you know, doesn't help. Yeah, that's that's not usually a, a way to succeed at the plate. So, <laughs> yeah, no. that's not something you want to go through while you're up at the plate. But Drury's comeback with the Reds was really out of nowhere, to be honest. One item you pointed to in your article was a change in his swing. Could you go more into detail on how that change helped his swing and how that really elevated his comeback? Yeah, so it was it was kind of a reversion for him. Um, after 2017, um, he he changed his swing from that you know aforementioned short, compact swing um, in a pursuit of of improved launch angle. Um, he had that decent output in Arizona, but he only had a a 5.4 percent barrel rate. He was going to the Yankees um, for the 2018 season. Um, so I think he, you know, got swept up in that movement um, of, of the increased launch angle. And um, he did generate more fly balls and a, a few more barrels, but the overall exit velocity dropped. He started striking out more. Um, so there's an article in, in The Athletic that was written right around the time he got traded to the Padres last year that kind of details how his dad, who's also a hitting coach, uh, helped him recover his, his old swing after the, the 2020 season. Um and, and try to focus on that, you know, being more short and direct and um, seems to have worked well for him in 2022. Um, the barrel rate went way up. Um, ironically, you know, he stops chasing that launch angle and he, he starts, he starts barreling the ball more. So very cool that Brandon Drury is back and relevant nowadays. Yeah, for sure. And it was, it was interesting reading some of his quotes where he was saying um, he forgot how to have, that old swing you know when he when he when he switched his swing in 2017 he took so many swings with the with the new swing that he just totally lost it with the old swing so wow. it's good to see a guy kind of redeem himself in, in that respect for yeah. sure yeah and yeah so that i mean uh, that comeback i mean we don't really need to talk get it too in depth on it i mean in in 92 games with the reds you know you you basically mentioned he he just wrecked uh <laughs> the slugging was up to 520 uh, he had, you know, more extra base hits, 20 homers, 22 doubles, um, drove in 59 runs. Um, but of course, then the Reds trade him to San Diego. And then we kind of see a regression from from Drury there. Like his uh, slash line uh, ends up being, you know, 238, 290, 435, which, you know, that's about 100 points lower just on the slugging. He only hit eight homers in 46 games. Um as opposed to the 20 in 92 that he had in, in Cincy, you know, other than, you know, just what I mentioned, you know, slugging and, and some counting stats, were there any other notable changes 
um, in you know some more advanced metrics when he moved to San Diego. I, I know a couple of the stats that you mentioned in your article to look at where you know his high home run to fly ball rate as well as like a low ground ball rate as some of the things that we at least saw improvement during his time in Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. The ground ball rate actually dropped further um, when he went to San Diego, um, and the fly ball rate increases. Um, a couple things that kind of point to this not necessarily being a good thing. Um, his pull rate dropped from 48.9% to 43.8%. Not great for a guy trying to hit the ball out of the yard. Um, his hard hit percentage dropped as well. And, you know, un- unsurprisingly, that home run for fly ball uh, percentage dropped, and, and so did his barrel rate. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you look at the batting, the batted ball profile, and it, and it, it maybe paints a – a decent picture, but then when you, you start to, to pull back the curtains on the, the more specific exit velocities and, and things like that, and he just he just wasn't hitting the ball as hard and, mm-hmm. and wasn't really hitting it to optimal parts of the field to, to generate the power output that he had in Cincinnati. Yeah, like one of the one of the interesting things you mentioned in the article is that for a guy who hit so many homers last year, his his um, exit velo on fly balls was fairly low, I think 35 percentile or something like that. Uh, did that change when he went to San Diego? Did it did it just get even lower? His exit velo is actually fairly consistent on average. The, okay. What's interesting is that the hard hit rate dropped off. And I think, you know, part of what I talked about in the article is, you know, I think a lot of the people, a lot of people look at him playing in Cincinnati for a year and automatically think, you know, great American ballpark, it's a bandbox. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fluke. Um and, and you know didn't go in with any preconceived notions to that regard, but it it, it definitely showed that um, he probably overexceeded a bit in terms of what the batted ball profile would you, lead you to expect someone to have in terms of home run output. But you know Savon I think still had him at twenty four expected home runs, so it wasn't you know a total fluke. Sure. Yeah, and unfortunately we're talking about all of the positive things with Brandon Drury, but this season Drury's been fairly underwhelming. How have his advanced metrics in the first few weeks of this season compared to his numbers last year? Poorly. Um, <laughs> That's an easy way to put it. Yeah, so the fly ball rate, going back to that, is north of 40%. And it, it kind of seems like he's got this threshold up around 40% where when he hovers in like the high 30s, I think his fly ball rate was around 37%. Um, in Cincinnati, he's doing pretty well. When it gets up over forty, the the hard contact drops off. Um, he's he's got like a forty percent under rate this year, so he's generating extremely high launch angles on forty percent of his batted balls. Mm. Um, and the exit velocity is is fairly consistent from last year, um, which is you know, I think the league has experienced a little bit of a jump, so he's he's kind of right below league average on average exit velocity. What I find most concerning is um, his whiff rate is way up. Um, 17.9% this year versus 9.9% last year. Um, and his contact rate subsequently is down 10% more. Um, pretty concerning 77% in zone contact rate. Um, he's always kind of been a, a somewhat free swinging guy. He doesn't walk a lot at all. Um, but the swing rate's up 10% as well. So, you know, there's there's probably a little bit of something I didn't pick up on in my in my first batch of research, but in revisiting his profile is, you know, he was a lot more selective last year. 
um, than he is this year and than he has been in the past. And I have to imagine that that probably helped him. He still didn't walk much. Right. Um, but even this year, I mean, the walk rate's 3.7% this year. He's just, it just doesn't seem like he's seeing the ball well. And he's certainly not making contact at a very efficient rate. Yeah, his baseball savant page looks pretty bad. It's just There's a all lot of blue. <laughs> yeah, a lot of blue. A lot of blue. The only, I guess, promising thing is that his hard hit percentage is in the 63rd percentile, which maybe shows a little ray of hope. His max exit velo is 77th percentile. So maybe there's something that will click for Brandon Drury, but it's definitely a slow and bad start for him. Yeah, and the, and the, the thing that kind of scares me is you, you talk about him making all these swing adjustments throughout his career and, and kind of finally finally finding it again. Mm-hmm. It feels like he might need to make an adjustment on the fly here if he's swinging and, swinging and missing that frequently. And I'm not, you know, necessarily super confident that, that he'll be able to do that. Yeah, and to relate it back to fantasy too, I feel like his price in drafts this season was kind of baked into that regression. Like no one expected him to do what he did last year again. So... I was really avoiding him because I just didn't really believe in it that much. But when he fell to a certain point in the draft, I was like, you know what? He's got multiple eligibilities. He's on a good team, good team context, good lineup context. I like it for that price, but it was already kind of baked in. So I guess people were a little bit smarter than, you know, what you would think out there because people were kind of actively avoiding Brandon Drury. And I guess for this reason, exactly. Now we can't completely write him off because obviously he's had some promise, but it definitely seems like he's trending in that poor direction. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. His his ADP was was not what you would typically expect from someone who put up twenty eight home runs and three WAR the year before. But that's the uh, I suppose the the great American ballpark uh, discount. Yeah, especially with all of his eligibilities too. I mean, to get that from a right. second baseman or third baseman, twenty eight homers in the Angels lineup. I mean, you would kill for that. But obviously that. Great American small park factor pays a little bit of a dividend there. <laughs> yeah, your first mistake was also thinking that the Angels were a good team. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> hey, they've got Otani and Trout and uh, under 500 record. But yeah, besides... right. They're two of the best players in the world, and uh, they still can't figure out to win more than half their games. Yeah, pretty ridiculous. But it's time for our favorite segment of these interviews when we talk about a specific player. It's the Who Would You Rather on Your Team Rest of Season segment. So, Jack, what we do here is we grouped four different guys against Brandon Drury, and you have to let us know who you would rather rest of season. And for the context of this, it's a standard 5 by 5 10 or 12 team head-to-head league. So that's what we go off of, standard head-to-head, 5 by 5 10 or 12 teams. So, with that being said, who would you rather, Brandon Drury or Brendan Donovan? Jack, what do you think? I'm going to go Donovan here. Um, he's definitely got the edge, um, on batting average. I think that's probably pretty well in hand for him. At, you know, he's pretty consistent in, in that regard. Um, you know, the, the power potential probably isn't there as much as, as much as Drury, but you know, he could, he'll run into a few. Um, what I really like is that the Cardinals are going to score a million runs this year. And it seems like every game they've played in has been a barn burner. Um, so could easily see 60 plus ribbies from him he's not you know a speed demon but he might mix in a couple steals uh it's donovan for me here okay john what about you yeah i think i go donovan as well even though like he hasn't really followed up his hot start to the beginning of the season 
um he's been you know running into a couple couple hits here and there but i mean the home runs of the rbrs are aren't really coming at least they haven't been in the last two weeks so um donovan probably here uh especially if you need someone who um yeah can get you those runs just because the cardinals are are definitely batting him in a lot so that's nice um and the yeah the metrics just look a little bit better for him I am also going to go Brendan Donovan, and this one's kind of weird for me because how I like to structure my teams as a fantasy player, Brendan Donovan doesn't excel at anything, really, and that's kind of a mute point for me. I don't know. I really don't like players of his kind of archetype, but you can't deny a leadoff hitter for the Cardinals is going to score probably 80 to 100 runs. He'll probably hit somewhere between, I don't know, 8 and 14 home runs and maybe get like 5 to 10 steals. RBI are just going to be really low, and the average is going to be fantastic, as well as the OBP. That's one thing he truly excels at, but having a player with just that on your team, it's not that appealing, but I like the thought of Brendan Donovan in a resurgent, kind of fixed-himself year over Brandon Drury in the slumping Angels being bad context. So I'll go Brendan Donovan here. It's kind of close, but I'd like Brendan Donovan's positional eligibilities. His utility there is very helpful, and I think if you need someone, I see the build better for Brendan Donovan, where if you need runs in OBP or average, he fits in better than anything Brandon Drury can give you. So for me, it's Brendan Donovan for the clean sweep. Next, we have Brandon Drury or Isaac Paredes. What do you think, Jack? I'm going Paredes here. Um, I think the ceiling here uh, is kind of what, what pulls me in. Um, 20 home runs last year and. 381 plate appearances um managed a 475 x slugging um and i think you know the average was was definitely a knock on him last year to 205 but you look at a 195 babip on a guy who hits the ball decently hard um and, and hits the ball out of the yard i think he's i think he's got the ceiling and he's and he's still young so i think there's there's some room for growth as well for him all right john what say you uh yeah i mean if you're ceiling chasing like paredes is by far the guy you should go with um he is striking out more this season he's walking less but i mean that's not why you picked him up you picked him up because he hits the ball hard and he gets uh runs in so um, you'll you'll take the added strikeouts and the lower obp i guess the only the, the kind of the nice thing for paredes too is actually that his swinging strike rate really hasn't changed too much in the last two seasons um i mean really last season that's that's really the only sample size we can we can draw from so i'd probably go with Paredes here uh just because if i'm you know if i'm in a 12 teamer that has uh you know a corner quarter or middle infield opening i i would rather go with the guy who's got some power and some counting stats ability rather than jury who right now i, I don't really know what i'm going to get from him so I'm going to be the outlier here, and I'm going to actually take Brandon Drury. I don't want so much bad name on his name. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> so the only person with a worse stat cast page than Brandon Drury is Isaac Paredes, believe it or not, if you look at his. <laughs> his is even more blue, and his hard hit percentage is the eighth percentile. So I just don't really feel confident in Paredes. Sure, the Rays are off to a hot start. The Rays are killing it, and there's a lot of RBI opportunity at the moment, but Everything has to come to an end, right? And I think Isaac Paredes has put up some decent numbers. I mean, three homers and 11 RBI so far, 703 OPS, 233 average. But I just don't see the path to him succeeding long term. I don't know. I, 
and if at any point he struggles, the Rays will platoon him. The Rays will bench him. They're just so out of this world when it comes to that stuff. So give me Brandon Drury and a hopeful bounce back for the rest of the season and the Angels being better. I don't know. I don't really see any promise with either of them. But if you're going to tell me to pick one, give me the guy whose hard hit percentage is at least 60 percentiles better than Paredes. So I'll take Brandon Drury on this one. Next up, we have Brandon Drury or Josh Rojas. Jack, what do you think about this one? I got to go against him again. I'm taking Rojas. Um, I think, you know, he's he's not a power guy, obviously, at all. Um, but um, what I think he has going for him this year is just the way the Diamondbacks are playing um, in terms of how aggressive they are in the bases. He's already got 10 runs. And obviously, you know, I don't, I don't expect that, that pace to continue. I think they're, uh, they're definitely overachieving earlier in the year. And it's obviously super, super likely they'll come back down to earth in some capacity, but I like the aggressiveness of the team. Uh, they've got exciting young hitters. I think the, the runs will continue to be a positive for him. And, and I think he'll, you know, he, I think 20 plus stolen bases last year. Um, we should be able to, see something like that again this year so Rojas for me John Brandon Drury or Josh Rojas so yeah Josh Rojas's pitcherless page is just like red and I don't know what to make of it because he's always just been such a meh player for me <laughs> um like there's always every year it's right so it's, it's the Josh Rojas breakout and then he inevitably just falls on his face um but the Diamondbacks are hot this year so I, I think if I'm looking for a pickup for rest of season if i want ratios which i guess when it comes to batters it's really just average um i i guess i go i have to go with rohats because he's been very consistent there even though he's batting an ungodly 347 right now um if i want anything else i think i would rather trust drury uh, just for the counting stats. I, I know the counting stats aren't, aren't there right now for Jury, but again, he is on the Angels. Like, that team should have RBI opportunities and run opportunities, even though he's not seeing it right now. Um, and I have to think that what he's batting at right now is not what he's truly capable of. So I think I'd go with Drury here just by a stretch because I just don't believe this Rojas breakout. Okay, that means I'm the tiebreaker, and I'm going to side with... Jack on this one. I will take Josh Rojas. And that's mainly because I'm a big believer in the Diamondbacks this season. Especially if Josh Rojas is leading off. I thought Corbin Carroll should be leading off. He's batting third at the moment, which is awesome. I'll take either way. But I really love that Diamondbacks lineup. I think it's actually deeper than a lot of people think. I think the Diamondbacks are a better team than most people think. They're letting them run wild. I can easily see Rojas going 20 to 30 steals this season, giving maybe 5 to 10 homers. Maybe even more than that. I'm not sure. But I like Rojas a lot, especially if he's leading off. He's got some good positional eligibilities. And for fantasy, I will take Josh Rojas over Brandon Drury. But it's kind of close on that one because Rojas could easily go to batting 8th or ninth and kind of fall off of relevancy. So I'll take Rojas, though. And last but not least, we have Brandon Drury or Tyro Estrada. Jack, what about this one? I'm going to go with Drury on this one. Oh, um, finally got one. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit of a zag here, but um, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure about Estrada. Um, 14 homers last year, pretty solid offensive year. Um, just not, not sure I believe it yet. Um, 
the X Woba was two ninety nine last year. Um, I just you know I'm not I'm not totally sure. I also don't really love the Giants offense for obvious reasons. Um, as someone that came into the season high on the Giants, that pains me to say, but um, yeah, I think I think I'll, I'll take the the Angels upside and the and hope for the bounce back with Drury here. John Brennan Drury or Tyro Estrada. Uh, well, I realize everything I said about Josh Rojas is kind of bunk because. Tyro Estrada is also being a great start to the season. Yeah, he really is. Yep. And I'm going with Tyro here. <laughs> um, I I think part of it might be because I think Estrada also has shortstop eligibility. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that shortstop is like an underwhelming position this season. There's actually been a lot of lot of great shortstop production. Um, but it's just um, it's nice to have someone who who can you know take over both second and short. Um, really solidify those those middle infield spots if you need someone to shuffle between the two. Um and I'm also slightly biased because I have Estrada in my in my home league and he's been doing great for me. So uh I think I'm gonna stick with Estrada here and hope this breakout continues. Yeah, so I'm also going to take Tyro Estrada and pretty much for similar reasons to Josh Rojas minus the team context because I also like Jack do not like the Giants team context even though there's three X Mets on there and I love that. And I love J.D. Davis and Wilmer Flores and Conforto. I love all those guys. But I just don't really like their team in general. I know that's kind of weird to say because they're doing all right. But I just don't see their lineup producing a lot of runs on a frequent basis. So I'm going to take Tyro Estrada for the main purpose of, like you said, in Yahoo leagues, he has second, short, and outfield eligibility. Which obviously Drury has first, second, and third on Yahoo. So Mm -hmm. they both have good positional eligibilities. But... I'd rather the guy who's batting one or two in the Giants lineup, which I believe like the one to five can swing the bat well. There are no studs amongst them, but with Jock Peterson, Conforto, Hanniger coming back soon, you've got some guys in there that can produce. So the one to five is decent. And if Tyro Estrada is batting leadoff or second for that team, he's going to score runs. He's stealing bases at the moment. He's hit three homers already, has four steals. So I kind of like that better than the guy who's batting sixth or seventh for the Angels that's struggling. And obviously, I don't want to pin too much on Drury for struggling because it's only two and a half, three weeks into the season. So I don't want to really ding him too much for that. But I just believe that Tyro Shada, who's only 27 years old, I didn't think he was that young. I thought he was older than that. But for someone like that, I'd like to believe that he should excel a little bit more than what he's doing. And I just believe in Tyro Estrada a little bit more than Brandon Drury at this current moment. So I will take Estrada on that one. And that wraps up the who would you rather have on your team rest of season segment. It's always good to do these to find out, hey, if I have Brandon Drury and any of these guys are out there, who do we like more and who can we pick up out of those guys just to make it a little bit easier on your decisions out there. But it's a good exercise to do just in case, you know, you roster him. Like John says, he rosters Tyro Estrada, and he wouldn't drop him for Brandon Drury if Drury was out there. So it's a good little exercise to do and just gives you a little food for thought. But that wraps up the interview with Jack Connors on his article, The Muppin Man, How Well Do We Know Brandon Drury? Jack, thank you so much for being here. Do you have anywhere that people can follow you at? And is there an article coming up that you're writing that you're excited about? Yeah. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm, uh, I'm actually off social media. I, I went <laughs> full full off. Okay, um, probably a good thing. It's I, probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. It's been great for the mental health, I have to say. But uh, I uh, I will have um, I'm doing a biweekly uh, article. Uh, Patients are panic with um, 
Ryan Lauren alternating weeks. So that'll be out um, this coming Wednesday. And then um, mid-May, I'm, I'm working on a piece about um, base running trends early in the season on, um, for going deep. So look for that. Yep. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that article. I really like what's going on with the speed department in baseball right now. So I will definitely be reading that article, and all of you should too. But once again, Jack, thank you so much for being here, and thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks, guys. Now let's get into streamers for next week. John, who do you have for us this time? Yeah, uh, I didn't really do a great job on choosing streamers throughout the week. The guys I picked pretty much all go on Tuesday and Wednesday. But I think they're actually guys that you might want to pick up on your teams because they might actually end up staying on your rosters. Well, maybe not the first two guys. Uh, Zach Plesak of the Guardians goes against Colorado on Wednesday. Cal Cronchel also goes on Tuesday against uh, Colorado. Um, I think Plesak's probably just more available in your leagues. Um, He's also a little bit better in terms of his swing and miss uh he's got more uh he's got more interesting stuff than Quantrill even though Quantrill has more strikeouts on the season uh but the main reason why I'm going with these guys is because they're facing Rocky Road um yes there's maybe a little bit of pop in those Rocky bats uh see CJ Crone there uh but I think please I could Quantrill both have good outings here this week definitely quality start uh material here uh, Ryan Nelson of the Diamondbacks goes against the Royals on Tuesday. He's very under-rostered in fantasy leagues. I, I was actually surprised on how low the percentages are. 6% at Yahoo, 3% on ESPN. He definitely needs to be higher than that. Um, he has a, He's 12th in PLV. He's got an above-average ERA and whip. Uh, the strikeouts really aren't there, which might be the only knock against Nelson. But I'd say look for him to have a good start against the league's worst offense in Kansas City, especially with the Diamondbacks DFAing Madison Bumgarner. I think Nelson's spot on the uh, Diamondbacks rotation is even more solidified. Uh, I mean, obviously, early in the season, there was kind of that that conversation, oh, do they go with Ryan Nelson, Dre Jamison, Brandon Fott? Um, but now that Bumgarner is not in that rotation anymore, I think Ryan is for sure going to be staying up. Um, and this Kansas City Royals start might be enough to kind of convince uh, the Diamondbacks he, that he needs to be up here the entire season. And then Eric Lauer of the Brewers goes against Detroit also on Tuesday. Um, like I mentioned, a lot of, lot of good options on Tuesday. Um, he's had an up and down start to the season, which is probably why his roster ship's kind of all over the place. He did just pitch a quality start against the Padres. I think he's, you know, good for a strikeout in an inning. That's kind of Lauer's calling called, right? He's got good stuff, but it's just the ERA and the whip that, that are just, you know, always the things that end up making him not a, uh, fantasy pitcher that you want to keep on your roster. But I do think he should be able to take advantage of this matchup. Um, again, it's against Detroit, so it might be hard to really you know, glean anything from this in terms of keeping him on your rosters permanently. Uh, but he has good enough stuff that he should be able to dominate um, the second worst offense in the league. Some other options later in the week, if you're looking for some some other streamers, Kyle Gibson goes up against Detroit as well. This is more of a bad offense thing rather than a good pitcher sort of thing. Although Kyle Gibson does sneak his way into some quality starts. And then Rich Hill uh, goes against the Nationals. Again, this is more of a bad offense rather than a good pitcher sort of thing here. Rich Hill uh, did just get tagged, I think, in his last start. So um, yeah, there's a little bit of hesitation here, but again, the Nats aren't very good. Rich Hill has some good stuff, uh, you know, on, on a good day. So he might be worth a stream here as well. Yeah, I like these picks minus Zach Plesak, just known Zach Plesak hater. <laughs> so I I am not a, a fan of Plesak, but I love Ryan Nelson. I actually streamed him in two of my leagues when he had a start against the Marlins, and he looked mm-hmm. great, got a quality start. Only four strikeouts, and like you mentioned, he's not a big strikeout guy. So 
that's the one thing about Nelson. But he actually looks really good. His stuff looks pretty nice, and I think mm-hmm. he's very under-rostered, like you said. It was a great point on that. Ryan Nelson is a guy I like a lot, so he's probably my one. I actually really like Kyle Gibson. I'm glad you mentioned him. I was going to mention him if you didn't. Gibson's been serviceable this season, and against Detroit, who's not very good, I like that a lot. So I'd actually put Gibson two, then Lauer three, Rich Hill four, and then I'm just going to pretend Zach Please No, Zach Please that's a great recommendation <laughs> because the Rocky Road, of course, and that's more of a good matchup sort of deal. But I'm just not a big Zach Please guy. That's me personally. But if you need someone to stream, I like these guys a lot. Ryan Nelson, my favorite by far. For sure. I, I will say the last time that we brought up Zach Please on the pod, uh, I was uh, in the minority in terms right. of guys who selected him, and then he went out and pitched great. So. Great. Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Recency <laughs> bias is on my side. <laughs> 100%. 100%. We were dogging on Plesak, and he pitched great the next time out. You were 100% right about that. So, hey, take John's recommendation. But that wraps up this week's episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL or send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at the John Ka, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E, and myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcherless Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on, and please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And lastly, sign up for PitcherList Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.